let's face it, relationships are hard work. Between roommates neglecting their chores, families berating you, and friends flaking and ghosting you, other human beings give us so many reasons not to love them. Our speaker Jeremy knows this all too well, having created and endured his own fair share of relational strain. But as we'll hear today, God's word instructs us as believers to bear with each other. If we are to love as Jesus did, we need to take lessons from the patience of a perfect man. Welcome to Challenge. Well, as, uh, as we talked about, we're continuing our series that we've been doing uh, since the beginning of the semester called As I Have Loved You. And uh, this is based, uh, the phrase from that is based off of what we talked about from one of the final commands that Jesus gave his disciples on the last night, the last meal he spent with them before he would go and be you know, crucified on the cross for their sins. And it's, it comes out of John 13, 34 and 35, should be here on the screen here. And it says, a new commandment I give you to love one another as I, uh, to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So what Jesus is saying here is, guys, it, people are not going to know you by uh, how much you've learned, although that's important. They're not going to know you by what the music you listen to or the way you dress or how much of an orator you are. They are going to know that you are my disciples in the way that you love one another. And as we've been talking about you know, various aspects in this series of what does it look like to practically love uh, people the way Jesus loved them, not just the way you think love means. And as I've been preparing for this message in particular of love bears with, I found it fairly kind of ironic and, uh, and humorous throughout this past week that I've been preparing for this, because as I thought about it, I thought, wow, of all the people to be speaking on the subject, um, I am someone that people have had to bear with a lot over the years. Uh, my parents, um, I'm one of four kids, number three or four. I probably gave my parents more gray hairs than probably my other three siblings combined as a child. Um, in fact, my dad would have a full head of hair if it probably wasn't for me. Um, and uh, yes, to this day, I'm still doing it. Uh, and then, you know, being the middle child, I had perfected like pushing the buttons of all my siblings. I mean, I could instigate arguments like that. And sometimes I would get them to like fight each other over something I said. And I just step back and, you know, kind of watch them go at it. And, uh, and then there's my wife, Katie, who's over here in the corner. Um, there are special treasures in heaven for her. Uh, she has uh, combined had to bear with me for, you know, between dating and marriage for the last 17 years. And so you think, bless her. Yes, she has, she has dealt with a lot. Um, so I'm coming to this topic with a deep sense of gratitude and uh, also a sobering sense of humility that I have a lot to work on this area myself. Um, and so as we've talked about, though, in previous weeks, if you're going to really experience the life uh, that you crave and the one that really God desires for you, you need to know how to begin to love others the way Jesus loved. And so this is what we're going to be talking about love bearing with. Uh, so first, I want to talk a little bit about what does, uh, do I need to adjust that on my end or is that okay? Okay. Um, first off, what does it mean to bear with and what does it not mean? So I think a good working definition that we, you might want to write down for tonight is to bear with is to patiently love people in the midst of difficult circumstances. To bear with is to patiently love people in the midst of difficult circumstances. You know, bearing with is not the absence of just doing bad things. It's not like you're just gritting your teeth, kind of whole, you know, fists are getting white milk and you're like, I will not punch you. I mean, that's better than nothing for sure. I mean, don't don't punch the guy. But that is not, you know, the full sense of what it really means to bear with. Really, biblically, what we're looking at here is, 
It's much more of a patient willingness to really seek the good of the person that is difficult to be around, uh, even though they are difficult to be around and hard to relate to. In our culture today, we sometimes swing between one of two extremes in relationships a lot. It's either like, I love you, you're the most amazing person ever, or I'm done with you, in fact, I'm gonna cancel you, you're out of here, you know? And it's like, and I don't think you have to go to one of those two extremes. I think it is possible to really love people, and at times when they're difficult, learn to patiently bear with them. Now, what bearing with is not, it is not a, a doormat approach to people because we want them to like us, like, okay, fine, I'll just, anything you wanna do, just, just lop it on, you know? Like, that's not what bearing with is. Uh, bearing with is also not a passive approach to relationships because we're too afraid to confront or too afraid to correct people. In fact, uh, there is a time in loving relationships to correct. We're gonna talk about that next week. Um, but actually, when we correct others, even when we correct others in love, the goal there is we're still bearing with them. You know, we don't, we don't correct them because we've reached our limits and we've had it, therefore we're gonna let them have it and then tell them off and walk away and it's like, and I'm done, you know. No, even when we correct people, we correct them with the goal really of their benefit. We're really looking out for their best interest and it's part of the bearing with process to even correct. So as you get into the life of Jesus, um, as, you, as it's kind of written about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you look at his life, the different gospel accounts, he had constant examples all over the scriptures where he was having to bear with all sorts of people. In particular, his closest 12 disciples that he was around a whole lot. And uh, so let me, let me give you a couple examples of what that looked like. You know, for one, Jesus bore with the disciples arguing. Now, you put any 12 guys in a room for an extended period of time, much less 24 hours a day for three years, you're gonna have some arguments. But these guys came from a lot of different backgrounds, so I can imagine the amount of arguments that took place with these guys as they're traveling day in and day out. Not all of them are recorded, but some of them are. And one of them happened during the final meal that Jesus had with his disciples. That same meal that he gave the great commandment, the same meal where he is about to go to the cross to die for their sins, that same meal where he washed their disciples' feet, there is a recorded argument that breaks out uh, that Luke records in Luke 22, 24 to 27. And it says, it says a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Now, you're Jesus, you're like, I'm about to go do this amazing thing for you, and I'm wanting to have just a pleasant, enjoyable last meal with you guys, and then you guys start arguing about who's gonna be the greatest. Really, really? And I mean, I, I can relate to this a little bit. I have three children, um, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. And the one-year-old sometimes can fuss at mealtimes, but sometimes a four-year-old and six-year-old, I'm just wanting to have an enjoyable meal, maybe pass on a few words of wisdom during dinner, and just, you know, have a fun time, catch up on their day, talking to my wife, and then they end up arguing about like who has more food on their plate. And so I'm like, nobody cares, just be quiet. You know, um, like we're gonna enjoy each other. You know, and uh, so I can, I can imagine a little bit like where Jesus is coming from on this. And so it's interesting to see how he responds. Instead, he really uses this as a teachable moment. And he says, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? Basically saying, hey guys, I get it. In the world's eyes, if you wanna be great, you're the one at the table. But see, I am among you as one who serves. So if you wanna be great by my kingdom standards, you're the one who serves. And so 
you know, that's one example. And then you see Jesus bearing with the disciples' arrogance and their, their bias against certain people. You know, these, these men, they, they were rough around the edges. I mean, they were very much steeped in their first century, you know, Jewish way of thinking where um, in their culture, oftentimes they saw women as less than, they saw children as less than, they saw non-Jewish people as less than. And so there was a lot of bearing with and a lot of coaching on Jesus' part to help them begin to shift their perspective to be more of God's perspective on how to relate. For example, Mark uh, 10, 13 through 16. The, there's a bunch of crowds of people and they're, and they're you know, getting around Jesus, they're bringing their kids around him to you know, have them sign their heads and stuff like that and you know, give them hugs and stuff. And it says, and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples, they rebuked him. You know, they're the bodyguards here. Um, and which I think is kind of funny. I mean, maybe some of you guys can relate, maybe some of you can't. I, I've noticed a trend of difference, like how people can be so off-put and so annoyed um, by kids when they don't have kids, all the while forgetting that they were once a kid themselves. And, you know, it's like, you know, you were that way once too, but you'll get there eventually. Um, so what is Jesus' response in this situation? He says, but when Jesus saw this, he became indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God uh, like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. So it's interesting. Jesus, he, he corrects the disciples, and then he goes on continuing to hug and to bless and to just spend time with these kids. Big, famous, powerful Jesus. And then he tells them a lesson. He says, guys, you think these kids are less than you, but you actually have a lesson you need to learn from them. See, I have kids. Like I said, I have three little kids. And one of the things you notice about little kids and mine, mine in particular, and really all kids, is they are very, very dependent upon their parents. My kids really do expect Katie and I to provide for them, and in fact, they have no plan B. You know, if we don't, if we don't they're like, what's your breakfast? Who said I was making breakfast? Well, your dad. <laughs> what else do you do? Um, and uh, then serve my needs. And so, you know, Jesus is telling guys, you need to learn to depend upon God like that. These children are, you have, you have a lesson to learn from them. And one of the things you also notice in this passage is that Jesus got angry at them. It says he became indignant towards them, which goes to show, you know, you can bear with people, but there's going to be times you're going to be angry too. It doesn't mean you're going to be, you know, a cool customer every single time you learn to bear with people. But notice what he didn't do. He didn't just throw up his hands and be like, all right, that's it. That's the last straw. New set of 12. Anyone, come on, come from the ground. Like, no, he, he's, he bared with them. He loved them. He stayed with them. He continued after that. Third example, uh, Jesus would bear with the disciples slowness of understanding and their lack of faith. Constantly, constantly in the scriptures, you see examples where they weren't getting it and their lack of faith. Uh, one example in particular was after two different miracles that Jesus had performed over a series of time. One, he feeds 5,000 plus people with five loaves of fish or five loaves of bread and some fish. I mean, and then another time, shortly thereafter, he feeds 4,000 plus people with seven loaves of bread and some fish. And I mean, he was literally like making bread and fish out of thin air and feeding these people. And the disciples had a front row seat to watch all this happen. And so right after the feeding of the 4,000, uh, the crowd's dispersing, they're, they're going back to their homes. And the Pharisees, these religious leaders, come up to Jesus and they say, uh, you need to give us a sign to show that, you know, you're really are the Messiah. As if what he just did was not 
a sign for them. And so Jesus tells them, no, no party tricks today. I'm not going to give you any sign. And he kind of, you know, brushes them aside. And then he gets in the boat with his disciples and they begin to cross the other side of the lake. And this is where we pick up in Matthew 16, 5 through 12. And it says, and the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And it says, they began to discuss among themselves, among themselves saying, he said this because we didn't bring any bread. <laughs> but Jesus, aware of this, says, you men of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not understand nor remember the five loaves and the 5,000? And how many baskets you picked up afterwards of the leftovers? You know, did you, or nor the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many large baskets you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I'm not speaking to you about bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And it says, then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They, they, they were so focused on their physical needs and their, their next meal. They were missing the bigger life lessons that he was trying to teach them here. But yet, Jesus bore with. And, it, you know, and it's kind of funny. Like sometimes when you read the gospel, it's easy to kind of poke fun at the disciples a little bit and kind of how slow they were to, to get it, you know, to really trust God on certain things. But yeah, as I was thinking about that some this week, I thought, I kind of wonder if there was a story written about our lives that they were reading, if they think the same thing about us, you know? Do we get it? You know, are we growing and maturing in, in an understanding of God where we begin to have a deeper sense of understanding and trust of him each day? Or is every day kind of like a fresh new day, like, What's going to happen today, God? I know you provided me before, but are you going to provide me today? You know, um, One of the things about Jesus, as you see, Jesus was perfect, and yet he bore with people. So if, you, if we ever think we kind of have an excuse not to bear with people, because we're thinking, well, but they're just so much different than me. I mean, they're so much younger. They're so much less mature. They're so much older. They're so much less organized. You know, Think about Jesus. Jesus was very different than the people he related to. And if there was anyone who could ever like call people on all their junk all the time and never have to be worried about someone throwing back like, well, you're not perfect. Uh, actually I am, you know, I am perfect. Like, like Jesus could do that, you know, but yet even though he was perfect and even though he was the smartest, most powerful and most important person in any room he ever walked into, he still chose to bear with people and to love them right where they were at. So a question for you. Why should we then bear with people? Let me give you four reasons, I think. I think, one, we bear with people because Jesus modeled bearing with people. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to imitate uh, how Jesus lived. See, God really is intent on shaping our character as followers of his to become more and more like his son. And he is interested in our comfort. It's not that he's trying to, oh, you're comfortable? All right, get out of comfort. No, he's not doing that, but... He is more interested. It's a higher priority for him that our character becomes more like his son than that we're just deliriously comfortable. And so I think, honestly, guys, in, as I've experienced this and I've, as I've seen in it, people's like, I really do think in the sovereignty and wisdom of God, he continues to put us in situations with certain kinds of people so that we have to learn to bear with them and trust God and learn to really love them like Jesus loved them. And if we choose to run from those type of situations, or we keep choosing to respond wrongly in those type of situations, he's going to lovingly keep putting you in those situations with those kind of people 
until you learn to love and bear with like Jesus loved and bears with. So I think that's one uh, reason why we should bear with. I think a second, we also bear with people because God commanded it. You know, in Colossians 3.13, it says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Or as Ephesians 4.2 says there as well, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is just two samplings of a lot of places in scripture where it's commanded or even modeled of why we should bear with other people. And I think one of the practical reasons we're commanded to bear with people is really for this third reason of, I think, why we should, which is it's the only way you're going to begin to have lasting, deep relationships with non-perfect people. It's the only way you're going to be able to have lasting, deep relationships with non-perfect people. Trust me, if you have any relationship, and I mean any relationship, that you have not had to, you know, have seasons or times where you had to bear with that person, you have not been friends that long, or you do not know them that well. <laughs> like, uh, because any relationship in its kind of honeymoon stage when you're first going to know them, yeah, there's not a lot to bear with. Or if you only see someone once or a couple times a week, not a lot to bear with. But if you really have deeper relationships, if you want deeper relationships that are much more interconnected, interdependent, those relationships require bearing with. Relationships do not last because they're problem-free. They last because you learn to bear with them amidst the problems that come up in the relationship. So a fourth reason why I think we should bear with is every one of us, me included, every one of us is a product of people who have and are bearing with us on a regular basis. You know, our parents, our friends, our professors, our roommates, our siblings, every one of them is bearing with us. And this is one of the reasons that I asked the icebreaker question that I did for you guys to think about a little bit because you would not be the people you are today and I would not be the person I am today if it wasn't for the people that chose to bear with us. And on the flip side of that, there are probably many of you guys that have some really deep wounds of people who had an opportunity to bear with you but they chose not to instead. They chose to reject you and you've been kind of living with some of that wound for your whole life. And that's not something you'd want to inflict on someone else, right? So, and for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have a heavenly father who is very patient. He's very kind. And he bears with us as we are falling and stumbling and learning what it means to be his child and learn how to walk with him in his kingdom. And even for those who haven't decided to follow Jesus, God is very patiently bearing with you as well. You know, it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, talking about when God is going to wrap up history and when people um, are going to be able to spend eternity with him into heaven, or if they've chosen not to follow him, spend eternity apart from him in hell. And it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, God is holding the door. He's wanting as many people as possible to come in and be able to experience life in the kingdom. So that's for some reason, I think, uh, why we should bear with. So then the next question is how? How do we bear with people practically? Um, let me give you five suggestions here. First, learn to distinguish between violations of personal preference and violations of the Bible. Think about the last couple times that you've been angry or sort of impatient or put off with someone. Were you angry because they violated something that the Bible said or were you angry because they violated your personal preference? I would submit to you, you know, because I know myself and I know people that 
probably a lot of them was the latter. You know, they violated your personal preference. You know, God said that's how you're to put away the dishes, you know, or God, you know, whatever it is. You know, that's how you make your bed or, or something. Um, you see, the Pharisees did this too all the time with Jesus. They, were con- they did not get angry at Jesus because he was breaking God's law. They got angry at Jesus because they were breaking his, their tradition. They had certain ways of doing things that they preferred. Now, it's okay to have personal preferences, and it's okay to voice those personal preferences from time to time. Um, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. But you don't want to put your personal preferences on the same level as the Bible, as something you're very quick to defend. And, and even when, whether it's the Bible or personal preferences, um, you want to be careful with anger. You know, anger itself is not a sin. Uh, even Jesus got angry. But Jesus was also God. So I think he could be trusted a little bit more with relating rightly to people while still being a little bit angry at them. You know, with, with me and probably with many of you, probably not so much the case. Um, in fact, I would submit to you, there's probably nothing you can do better angry that you couldn't do not be angry. Maybe that's something to think about sometime. Uh, second suggestion, very short but practical. Uh, get enough sleep, um, <laughs> right? Uh, have you ever noticed how little deals become really big deals when you're sleep deprived? Or have you ever noticed how every situation becomes a dramatized, bear with situation when you're sleep deprived? Um, I'd imagine every single one of you, including myself, is a little more delightful to be around when you've got enough sleep, right? You know? And so not only is this suggestion gonna help you be able to bear with other people well, it's gonna help other people be able to bear with you better, you know? It's like, can I get an amen? Yes, uh, I mean, right, I mean, roommates, like, because that's true, right? I mean, Katie, she knows. This guy, and I don't get enough rest, it's not a, it's not a pleasant sight. Um, and so, you know, maybe, that's, maybe I need to take my own advice on that one. Uh, third, ask God to really help you see others through his eyes. Ask God to really help you see others through his eyes. You know, God is a very compassionate and patient person, and he sees people for not only who they are as eternal beings created, you know, in his image that we talked about in the first week. He sees them not only as who they are, but he also sees who they could be if they really chose to begin to put their trust in him and follow him. You know, Jesus was constantly doing this with people, too. He was constantly looking past their current sin, past what they were currently doing or acting like, or their quirks or whatever else was going on with them, to who they could be. You know, you see this in, for one example, in John 1:42, when Andrew brought his brother Simon to Jesus for the first time. And it says, Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated means Peter, is Peter. And if you don't know that what the name Peter means, Peter means rock or stone. You know, he's saying, you're going to be reliable. You're going to be sturdy. You're going to be solid. Now, was Peter that way throughout the Gospels? And yes and no. Sometimes he was. Uh, sometimes he wasn't. Um, but he sure was that way as he got older, as you look in the book of Acts, as Christianity began to spread and he was sort of a, a pillar of the church. I mean, that's really who he was. He was the rock. But Jesus saw years before who he could be, and he called him to that, and he trained him to that, and he really bore with him until he became really who he really could be. Fourth suggestion, um, in order to bear with other people well, choose to forgive quickly 
when they offend you. And then really thank God that you, for the forgiveness that you've received. You know, just as it says in Colossians 3.13 that we looked at earlier, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. If you've ever tried to bear with someone without forgiving them, what ends up happening eventually is you just get bitter and you get resentful and you are just a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. Or if you ever forgive someone or try to forgive someone without also thanking God and just remembering what you've been forgiven, you end up responding pretty, you know, in a pretty patronizing, pretty self-righteous way, which honestly is maybe harder to bear with than being told off. So both of these are needed. You want to forgive quickly and you want to really thank God for what you've been forgiven. And then the fifth and final suggestion, choose to have compassion and see things from the other person's perspective. Choose to have compassion and see things from the other person's perspective. Now, this doesn't mean that you are saying what they did was right or what they did was justified. It very well might have been wrong and very well might not have been justified. But what that does mean is before jumping to conclusions, before you know, making final judgments, which, by the way, is really only God's prerogative to do, um, you want to take time to observe, to ask questions, to really see things from the other person's perspective. You know, one of my favorite stories about the power of really seeing things from another person's perspective is found in an excerpt from Stephen Covey's book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, and it's an excerpt called The Man on the Subway. How many, how many of you guys have read that book before? Anyone, anyone read that book? Okay, handful. Yeah, it was a little more popular like 15, 20 years ago, but it's a good book. Um, but this is a really good excerpt. And so I want to read to you. And as I read to you, just, just imagine this scene unfolding on the subway. It says, I remember a mini paradigm shift I experienced one Sunday morning on a subway in New York. People were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some rest, uh, resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Then suddenly a man and his children entered the subway car. And the children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. And the children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing. And yet the man was sitting next to me doing nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. And I could not believe that this, he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and knew nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. He's just getting hyped, getting hyped and hyped. Um, it was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt like was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. And the man lifted his gaze as if to come to consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, well, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. I'm, I'm sorry. See, we just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. And I don't really know what to think. And I guess they don't really know how to handle it either. And it says, can you imagine what I felt at that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly I saw things differently, and because I saw it differently, I thought differently. And I felt differently, and I behaved differently. And my irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with the man's pain, and feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife just died. I'm so sorry. Can you tell me more about that? What can I do to help? 
Everything changed in an instant. And guys, I would submit to you, that really is an example of just the power of compassion. Everything changed, but really nothing changed because he saw things from a different perspective. Now imagine if as followers of Jesus, people in Christian challenge, we began to develop a reputation like that around this campus of lovingly bearing with people just like that. What would the possibilities lead to? What, what great things might come of that? Well, let me give you a few thoughts as I wrap up here. One, I think that will lead to quality relationships that really grow stronger, not weaker over time. You know, the pinnacle of your relationship doesn't have to be the entry point, and then it's just sort of a low downgrade from there. It can actually get better. Two, I think that would lead to us really growing personally in the character of Jesus while allowing other people to really experience his genuine love, maybe for the first time, real unconditional love that is desperately needed in our world today. And then third, I think that would lead to really Jesus and his kingdom looking much more as an attractive option to what they are currently experiencing in life today. You know, education, equal pay, philanthropy, social justice, all that stuff is good. All that stuff is needed, but is not the center of the issue. It's not the center thing that's going to bring people together. Jesus really is the only one who has the ability to really bring real peace, real peace and real unity to people from different education backgrounds, from different genders, from different ethnicities, and socioeconomic backgrounds, as people begin to follow Jesus, to put their trust in him, and become forgiven children of God who are learning to live life with Jesus. So just imagine, even if, if just those three things, there's probably more, but if just those three things began to happen around our campus and it began to permeate out from our campus to California, to the nation, to the rest of the world, all because people in Christian Challenge decide, I'm going to choose to love like Jesus loved. I'm going to choose to bear with people and seek their good, even when it's difficult, because that's how Jesus loved. So I'd encourage you, let's begin to do that. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll welcome the band back up. I'm very much aware as I was Father, I, uh, preparing this message, just um, how many times uh, people have borne with me over the years, and uh, I'm very, very grateful for that. And most importantly, God, how you have borne with me every single day of my life. And God, I really do pray that uh, we would be a people that not only knows better, but does better, that we would realize um, we have been the products of people who have really been born with over the years. And God, would we really love people the way you love them, to really bear with them? And God, as a result, they would really turn around and begin to do that with people around them. And God, that would permeate throughout the rest of this campus and on into other parts of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platforms and leave us a review there. We meet in person every Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. in TCC 450 on the campus of the University of Southern California. If you're in the area, we would love to see you there. Get involved and find out more about us, upcoming events such as our Fall Discipleship Conference and weekly small groups on Instagram at USC Challenge 
and on our website, uscchristianchallenge.com.